What is up, everybody? Adrian M. Gibson here. What you're about to hear is the audio version of a live author panel recorded at TBRCon 2023. TBRCon is an all-virtual sci-fi, fantasy, and horror convention that I directed and organized and was founded by David Walters of Fanfy Addict. And this year, we had the pleasure of hosting 30 author panels, which were absolutely amazing, and I highly recommend checking them out. But since so many of you listen to podcasts and prefer that over watching things on YouTube, I have published this live author panel here on the SFF Addicts podcast feed. I'll be releasing a new author panel every Friday until they run out. So until then, sit back and enjoy this week's TBRCon 2023 author panel. Enjoy. everyone thank you for joining us for this latest panel on tbrcon 2023 we are talking slice of life fantasy i'm your moderator for the evening uh, my name is tom bookbeard or it might not be evening where you are uh, i'm really lucky to be joined by some really amazing authors uh, i feel very out of place uh, but i'm joined by travis baldry uh, travis riddle quimby olsen rebecca ross juliet mckenna and stephanie burgess I think we'll just warm up, first of all, uh, by going around the panel. Uh, just tell us a little bit more about who you are and just saying, well, what does the slice of life genre mean to you? And I'll go in the order I can see on my screen, uh, which is uh, uh, Steph. All right. So I'm Stephanie Burgess and I live in Wales, although I didn't grow up there, as you can tell from my accent. And I write what I would say is cozy fantasy um, for both children and adults. My most recent sort of cozy trilogy for children was Dragon with a Chocolate Heart. And uh, for adults, I've got scales and sensibility. So I have a strong dragon theme <laughs> for an awful lot of them. And for me, I guess when I think slice of life or cozy, I think low stakes, warmth, the reassurance that no matter how worried the protagonists might get the reader knows it's all probably going to be okay in the end so it's a safe escape that's not going to that's going to leave you feeling better than you did when you started reading brilliant i like the term safe escape that's an issue i might touch on that later um but uh, we'll go to rebecca and tell us more about who you are and uh, what does slice of life mean to you yeah so i'm rebecca ross i live in northeast georgia and um, I've previously written, uh, well, I started my career with young adult novels. So I have four um, previous young adult novels. And then last year I branched out into the adult fantasy space with River Enchanted and A Fire Endless. They both published last year. Um, and that's where I really feel like my, my coziness came out was in those books. And it's not like I was actually trying to write a cozy book, it just happened. But um, I, I kind of see it as very similar to what Stephanie said as being a safe escape. and. Um, it's a story set in a fantastical world, but it focuses a lot on the characters' daily lives. And um, it's just one of those comforting reads. So I see a lot of readers say that, like, oh, this is a comfort read. It's one that I will come back to again and again. Oh, fantastic. And uh, next up, uh, Juliet, um, tell us a bit more about yourself and what does the genre mean to you? Hello, um, I'm Juliet McKenna, and I live in Oxfordshire in England. Um, 
Slice of life fantasy to me means immersive fantasy. Fantasy where you actually get a very, very compelling sense of the world that the characters inhabit so that the, the world is convincing and the characters are relatable. Doesn't necessarily mean they're anything similar to what, uh, you know, to, to our world and our lives. Um, so in that sense, my characters in both the epic fantasy I've written and the contemporary fantasy that I'm writing at the moment, the Green Man books, have to deal with the practicalities of everyday life. In my epic fantasy, people have to deal with money and border posts and um, making sure they can hire a horse and all the rest of it. In my contemporary fantasies, you know, Dan, my lead character, he has to pay his rent, he has to pay his bills, he has to not get arrested or locked up as a nutter when he's trying to solve a supernatural mystery in a wood. Um, I don't think I could describe what I write as cosy. It's certainly an escape, but, you know, when it comes to safety, I think all bets are off um, for the characters. I try to... I don't write grimdark, though. Um, which I would say is so I'm um, presumably somewhere in, in between cosy and grimdark. I think if someone could find a way to write full on slice of life, cosy, grimdark, then uh, that would be one heck of a read. Um, yeah, thank you, Juliet. Um, uh, Travis B, as we're calling him, uh, because we have two Travises. <laughs> um, yeah, tell us more about yourself and, and what does this genre mean to you? I'm Travis Baldry. I'm uh, am in Spokane, Washington. I'm actually a, a full-time audiobook narrator and I'm sort of an accidental writer. I, uh, I wrote the book Legends and Lattes, which was not intentionally cozy fantasy, but I suppose actually ended up being that. I wrote it because it was what I wanted to read at the time. Um, and uh, my second book, which is kind of a prequel, is also sort of cozy fantasy, although a lot different, um, set kind of in the same world. Um, as far as what cozy fantasy means to me, uh, as Stephanie said, I think there's kind of like an expectation of feeling better after you're done reading it. Um, but for me, one of the things that's important to it, at least for me as a story, is that it's concerned with everyday things and finding the value in everyday things, and that it uses the trappings of fantasy to remind us that those things are special and worthy of regard and worthy of that, that everyday drama is still relevant. You don't have to slay a god or save the world for it to be meaningful to you as a story. And that's one of the things that I particularly like about it. Oh, fantastic. I, I think you, you pretty much nailed the genre um, spot on. Um, it, it, for me, certainly as a reader, it is feeling better, you know, sort of escaping in that sort of cozy fantasy slice of life space. Um, interested to know, uh, Travis R, what what your thoughts are on on what the genre means to you, and obviously tell us more about yourself as well, please. Yeah, my name's uh, Travis Riddle. I've written. A couple different series and a bunch of standalone stuff. And um, my latest is the Jekua series, which is kind of like a Pokemon-inspired story taking place on a tropical archipelago. Um, and all of my stuff has had, like, slice-of-life elements in it. But I, I also didn't really ever intend to, like, settle into that subgenre. Um, it's just more that, like, 
what is what I think of a slice of life and what's important to me in a story and therefore the reason I included it in mine um, is just that even if the stakes are high in a story, I still want to take a lot of time to show the downtime with the characters and them getting to know each other and just having conversations and learning more about them and deepening those like character dynamics and relationships so that um, when we get to those higher stakes moments, um, the characters aren't just like these two major character traits. They're actually deeper characters that you actually care about seeing what happens to them in these big moments. Okay. Yeah. I think that's an interesting take on it, actually. Um, and I'm very conscious we were going to circle around to Quimby, but uh, I, I can't actually see her. Um, <laughs> so I think we, we can move on to the next question. And, and what I noticed, were, as most of you are speaking, was that that escapism element, and particularly uh, that, that safe escapism, and I think that's, that's as a reader, something that I enjoy about the genre is, oh, sorry, we've got Quimby back. Um, so hold that point. Uh, Quimby, uh, <laughs> could you tell us more about yourself and, and more about what the genre means to you? <laughs> yes. Hi, uh, I'm Quimby Wilson. Uh, I am in Pennsylvania, uh, which is just outside Harrisburg. Um, I wrote the big books that I just can be attributed to me are uh, Miss Percy's guidebooks, which are Miss Percy's pocket guide to care and feeding of British dragons, and then just recently is Percy's travel guide to Welsh Wars and Feral Dragons. Um, as to what uh, Slice of Life cozy means to me, I think everyone has been covered it in a way already. It's um, to me, it's uh, it's very much just a book that I wanted to uh, write. It's something that I wanted to read. I think it's the most me book I've ever written, um, which it's very just a combination of all the things that I love to make me comfortable and happy. So it's Prince Pride and Doug Saddams and Good Omens and all the things that I picked up in childhood and then shoved together with Jane Austen in a book. And for me, that's comforting and cozy, and um, there's it's low stakes in the sense it's not epic. There are huge battles and wars happening. It's just concerned about this group of people and some baby dragons, and just a nice warm cup of tea kind of book. Okay, cool. We're just seeing some comments on the live feed that uh, we're having a bit of trouble hearing your audio. Um, let me see if there's anything I can do on my end about that. There you go. This is the wonders of, of live streaming. Um, well, I thought we'd, we'd move on. So I, I wanted to, to touch upon what a lot of you have been saying in that element of slice of life, cozy fantasy being being escapist. And, and I think in some way all sci-fi fantasy is escapism. But what role does slice of life have to play in that? Uh, would anyone in particular like to lead on this one? Um, I, I'll, I'll throw something on there. One of the things that I think is almost essential about like cozy fantasy and slice of life in some ways, probably more so cozy fantasy, is that instead of making you do all the work to journey somewhere else to 
to acclimate yourself to another fantasy realm, it kind of tries to bring it closer to you so that it's more immediately accessible in a lot of ways. That you don't have to learn 20 years of orcish history to appreciate what's going on in the story. That you don't necessarily need to come to grips with a magical system or, you know, a political system in order to slip into that fantasy. So I think it requires less of a journey. I don't think that makes it like a less valid journey, but, you know, I, I, I likened it to someone else. It was like, if you want comfort food, you don't eat lutefisk. You probably eat like really good chicken noodle soup. You're looking for something that is familiar to you to a certain degree so that you can kind of slip into it. I'd also just add that it's been particularly essential to me as both a reader and a writer during difficult times to have that kind of comfort escape. And the interesting thing is I really realized it in the last couple of years when I started writing my first non-cozy fantasy series, uh, which was a duology I wrote for Bloomsbury um, called The Raven Heir, The Raven Throne. And I love those books, but they were completely the wrong books to be writing in the middle of a worldwide pandemic <laughs> because <laughs> as a writer, you know, I'm also escaping into the world I'm writing about. And if the world I'm writing about is huge and epic and has big stakes and, oh, my God, if anything goes wrong, you know, the whole world will be crushed. You know, that's a lot. <laughs> and when you're feeling in your own life that you're dealing with quite enough on your plate already, it can just be so soothing to pick something up like, you know, Travis uh, B's uh, Legends and Lattes, which I love and where what matters isn't going to change the world. And I care desperately about whether the heroine in that book would manage to get a big enough coffee machine or would, you know, would manage to, you know, figure out the space for the stove. But it was okay to care that much because I knew that even if it went wrong, it would probably be okay. You know, I, I wasn't stressing about it. No, absolutely. Uh, does anyone else want to, to chip in on, on, on how this, this genre can be that? that mode of escapism i think for me it's a lot because of what i really love about fantasy is getting to learn about like weird new things in all these different worlds and so i feel like with slice of life more so than a lot of other stuff when the pacing is like super fast and you're getting from like one big moment to the next in like slice of life and cozy fantasy you can really like slow down and just like get to know that world more and get to know more of these details. Like in some of my books, I talk about like some of the literature of that world or like a band that one of the characters likes, things like that. Um, and I just, I just enjoy reading those like smaller details that kind of flesh out a world more and in different ways than you typically see in a fantasy book. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, Re Rebecca, what, what do you think? Yeah, so I was going to also touch on the pandemic because I think not that slice of life hasn't been around for a while, but I feel like there has definitely been this surge of interest in it where I think a lot of readers um, are wanting to escape, like Stephanie said, like into something um, where the stakes don't feel so high because I think we've all just lived through it the past past few years where you want something, um, again, that feels safe, that feels cozy, that's um, and I also think that it's it's encouraging us to slow down. And I think, again, just kind of looking at society where we have all had to slow down um, and kind of peel away distractions where I, I know I'm guilty of this. We're just always like 
going at the speed of light from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and, and taking in all this information on social media. And sometimes I think it's nice just to like unplug and just kind of like take that slice of life that you've been reading and honestly apply it to your own life where you find the magic in everyday small things again. It almost sounds mindful when you put it that way, like washing the dishes, you know, just to unwind after a really hard day. It, you can achieve that same sort of thing just by reading a cozy or a slice of life fantasy book. I'm, I'm interested to know more about what Juliet and Quimby you'd think, especially on your own writing, um, you know, with a view to escape. The pandemic presented me with a very specific challenge because the series I'm writing at the moment, the Green Man books, are happening in contemporary England. Um, and with the first books, basically, that was fine, because 2018 and 2019 were pretty much the same as each other in terms of you know what was going on in the world and same as the years that have been before. So I didn't have to be specific about the years that things were happening in. And then the pandemic hit. And when I was writing the Green Man's Challenge, one of the things that makes these books relatable is they are very clearly happening in the contemporary current UK. Well, so was I going to mention the pandemic or not? And if so, how? Um, because in the middle of the pandemic, we're all incredibly stressed and nobody wants to read about characters being incredibly stressed. But if I duck the issue completely, that takes us into a, a fantasy world as opposed to the real world. So I had to, I basically did a you know, gut check on this and referred to the virus um you know we have characters you know dealing with the practicalities of lockdown when you've got to go and find out what's causing mayhem in a different county um the stress that certain characters were feeling got reflected at key points in the book but only where it was actually relevant to the characters of the plot and the unfolding story and i was very still in very much in two minds about that when i handed the book over to the editor and yeah, I, I specifically said, look, yeah, I really want your feedback on this, Toby. And he reckoned, yeah, actually, you know what? It was good to read about char your characters going through some of the same things I'd been going through. And when the reviews for that book, as I say, specifically came through, some people, it wasn't an issue for them and it, they didn't like it. And that's a perfectly valid response. But the number of people who said, actually, seeing their own experiences reflected in the characters in some in some instances even helped them make sense of things they hadn't realized were an issue for them um so you know it looks as if i got it just about right um but that was very much a going with my instinct uh writing decision yeah i think that's really important with the distinction between like slice of life and cozy fantasy because like day-to-day -day stuff sometimes is not very good and like mm. the first book that i wrote that was i did not intend for it to be slice of life but then when people read it i saw them referring to it as slice of life it was about like a illness spreading through a town and like multiple people dying and it's very much about like grief and like 
processing anger and stuff like that. But so, I mean, it's, it's nothing cozy at all, but it's, it's still very much slice of life and the day-to-day lives of these people in this one town. And Quimby, what, what do you think? Um, I think this life of life and cozy, I think, um, sorry, I've got a kid in you know. <laughs> It's, I think as others have said, we read a lot of fantasy that's already been written. It's very, very popular. Things like Game of Thrones and the Lord of the Rings. It feels as though the only important adventures are very huge epic adventures. And so if there's not something huge or world-changing happening, then it's really not a very important. It's not something we're telling a story about. And I think what's amazing about Slice of Life and Koei is that it lets people know that what you're going through, what you're enduring on your daily level, is important and is a story that should be told. And it doesn't have to be thrown ring into a mountain. It doesn't have to be, you know, dragons flying through the sky and armies of tens of thousands. It can be very small day to day in town, in village, in your life things that are so important, still deserve to be told, still deserve to be heard. No, absolutely. And, um, I think an important point to touch on is, uh, you know, what we're saying is we, in a way, this genre is taking the mundane and exploring that. And sometimes uh, I didn't actually want to reference pandemics. I feel like that's been talked about so often, but I can see why escapist fantasy is is needed. Um, And if it is something that can tackle that head on in this way, then that can be really important for readers. Um, Certainly in my own experience, I was finding because of the pandemic, I I just got tired reading all these hard sci-fi and epic fantasy stories. And I needed something more normal uh, and lower stakes. how have you all found this has been shaping your writing in, in the genre? And I will pick on people if, if no one wants to. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> you're muted, Stephanie. Oh, there we you're, go. You're, Stephanie, you're muted. <laughs> Give it a second. All right, I'm going to talk until someone tells me they can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. All right, wonderful. So uh, I found as I've been working on the second book in my Regency Dragons trilogy of cozy fantasy rom-coms, I have been almost going back to that idea of mindfulness (laughs) that Tom Bookbeard was talking about before, that um, I've actually taken making myself stop and sort of savor moments because I've been very trained for a long time that you want to tell this fast paced story and pile on, you know, issue after issue for the protagonists to deal with. But I have been stopping and sort of luxuriating more in some of the small scenes along the way. And I think they still move the plot, but it's partly by, like Travis Riddle was saying, uh, by deepening the character dynamics and deepening the relationships to make them matter more. And just having that moment of like the heroine sitting with her cousin 
you know, savoring this cup of tea while the dog is being really silly on the floor nearby. And those little moments actually can add up to something really comforting along with the larger story arc. I think it's uh, an interesting circle to try and square when, because you want to give that immersive quality, to give that depth and breadth of a world. Um, you know, you want to offer that level of detail and that level of, uh, you know, that sense of a, a much wider world. But uh, you're not, you know, you can't have two people who've known each other all their entire lives um, walking into town and having a completely unprompted conversation about something they both know because it's been part of their life forever to explain it to the reader. Um, you have to sort of the data dump i think is the big uh danger you know the as you know bob conversation um you have to sort of thread these things through and actually uh, i remember many many years ago um i can't remember who i heard say this basically every scene in a book should advance the plot reveal character or um expand the world and ideally any scene will do at least two of those three things. So one of the things about these sitting down and having a cup of tea conversations is actually they are wonderful opportunities to expand the world, to reveal more about character. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's where people can sometimes not realise the skill involved because you have, to, you have to sit and think about those scenes quite carefully if you're going to get maximum value out of them. Absolutely. So um, I feel weird talking about like how it has changed my writing because I just don't feel like I've done enough of it here. I feel like I'm kind of sneaking in the side door. But um, there were some things that were made really apparent to me in writing the first book and then subsequently writing the second book. Um, the first book is the first book I've ever completed. I tried many times before and failed abjectly, always in the boggy middle. Um, and... The thing in retrospect that made it work for me uh, was finding a, a basic human relatable experience that I understood that made the story function. And for me, with Legends and Lattes, which is ostensibly about an orc opening a coffee shop, what it's really about is someone late in their life discovering that all of the time that they had put toward their career was towards doing something that they ultimately didn't want to do anymore. And the the basic fear of can I, is it too late? What's the, the sunk cost fallacy? You know, can I change my life right now? And if I do, what's going to happen? And that's a very kind of basic fear that lots of people experience in their life. And that's really what the story is about is, is that fear and, and how you act in the face of that fear. Um, but after that, I'm still, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, I know how to, now I know how to do this. So I knew exactly what book I was going to write second. My second book was going to be a cozy mystery fantasy. It was basically going to be, you know, fantasy murder she wrote. And this sounds great, right? It sounds great on paper. Anybody I told this and I had a wonderful outline that told the whole story and knew exactly what I was going to write. And on the surface, that should be what I write. But ultimately, I wrote about 30,000 words of it and said, wow, I hate this. And I threw it away because it didn't have... <laughs> at its core, this basic human element that I needed to make the story function. And I didn't realize that until writing the second book, how important that was to making the story work. So um, I guess if I were to say how, how it had changed my approach to writing, it would be like 
amplifying my realization of how important that was to the function of a story and this kind of story where I can relate to it in a human way that feels relevant to me. Now that's a that's a great point. Um, is that something you've noticed in the audiobooks you've been narrating over the years, just out of interest? Um, I mean, they're all very, very different, but the ones that I resonate the most with are the ones that fundamentally have some human concern underpinning everything that I that I recognize in myself. Um, you can read about somebody picking up a sword and going on an adventure only so many times unless there's an underpinning of something else before you're like, I've heard this. I know how this goes. And you feel start to feel a certain distance from it unless it's got that that skeletal structure of like humanity under it. And so anytime I find those books, I'm just like, oh, thank goodness, this is great because they're, it's like dancing to do those books. Yeah. The only, the only books I ever start and then finish writing are the ones that are very much wrapped up in some kind of thing that I'm cur currently going through in my life and uh, is like important to me to like process and write about. Roughly 30 years ago, <laughs> I wrote what I was convinced was going to be the definitive blockbuster fantasy masterwork. And if it had ever been published, it would have had the heft, dimensions and literary merit of a cinder block. Um, and it came back from the first draft, came back from agents and editors with variations on a theme of there is nothing to distinguish this from these six competent fantasy novels that have crossed my desk this week. And then it actually got as far as readers' reports from one publisher, which I'm incredibly grateful with the benefit of hindsight that it got no further. Um, and when they sent the manuscript back, because this was in the days when, you know, a brick thick wadge of typescript would hit the doormat, they had included the reader's reports, which authors are supposed to never, ever see. And to this day, I don't know if that was a genuine mistake or somebody somewhere thought she needs a really hefty corrective because she probably could make the grade, but not if she keeps writing this. And at one point, one of the readers um, basically comment was, you know, about halfway through, if the author has lost interest in her central character, why should I bother? And I was desperately upset until I realised actually they were right. And this comes back to the relatability. Um, basically, I it, and this is absolutely the, the point. It wasn't until I literally junked, you know, 250,000 words of effort and work and toil and sweat and started with a completely blank page with a and focused on the character and the relatability that I actually wrote something that was publishable. I think that relatability, you know, we, we keep coming back to, and I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on it as well, Quinby. Um, there's been a few comments from the, the live stream that we, we're having audio problems with uh, with your microphone. So let's see if we can get that sorted first of all. Um, I don't know if it's the the uh, headset you're using or, or the computer. Let's see if we can we can fix that. Okay. Um... Is everything sounding okay now? No, it's got maybe like a persistent can... like dropout echo. Yeah. Um, maybe if you could unplug the headphones, microphone, see if your computer's got a microphone. How about sound now? Same. 
which might mean that it wasn't using your headset microphone. You might need to check the input on the settings. Maybe it's using your uh, your laptop's mic instead of your headset mic. Okay. Technology here to make our lives easier. It will work for 30 seconds and then... See, primarily we booked in Travis Baldry for the uh, the commentary on Cozy Fantasy and Slice of Life, but also he's an audiobook guy, so uh, comes in I handy. have all of this ridiculously weird equipment that never works right the first time, so I have been through so much Zoom, StreamYard, and other thing troubleshooting over the past two years. I've got it down now, at least on my end, but <laughs> once you leave this box, all bets are off. <laughs> Well, I think whilst we're we're sorting um, sorting that out, um, I'd love to know your your thoughts, Rebecca, on on how you can make the the slice of life genre relatable to your readers. Yeah, so I think um, kind of like piggybacking what everyone else has said. I remember because um, I my background's in young adult, and there is such thing in YA where they want you to have a very fast pace. You have to have high stakes. You got to keep the teens, you know, their attention hooked. And I remember having this feeling where I got feedback from one of my editors, like, oh, we need to cut about 100 pages from this draft. It's like, gosh, like that is that is so much to cut from one of my books. Um, and so I started thinking, like, well, maybe I'm better suited for adult fiction where I can take my time and and let it meander a bit and take a, a slower pace and really focus on those, those moments of characters having tea. And um, so it's interesting, I think, coming from from my YA background, where my, my last YA I wrote, Dreams Like Beneath, was very plot-driven, very high stakes. And then what did I write next was River Enchanted, where it is this very, again, that's where, like, the coziness started coming in. Um, and it was interesting that the very first scene, like, I, I, a very character-driven story, um, the first thing I ever saw for that book was the island. So I knew the setting would play, like, honestly, like, its own character in the book. Um, but then the first two characters I found were Torin and Sidra, um, and Torin is like this very gruff captain of the guard. And then Sidra, his wife, is like this very tender-hearted healer. And they were having this argument about something. And I wasn't sure what it was, but they had two very different beliefs on what was happening. And that um, I knew they had this marriage of convenience. So, and they had this, Torin had a little girl. So that was one of the reasons why he married Sidra, because he needed help to raise his child. So I was like very intrigued by these people. It's like, well, why, you know, you're having marital issues. Like, what's, what's going on? Like, why did you guys marry? Like, how are you going to resolve this problem? Um, and so again, I originally thought I was writing a YA novel. And so I was like, well, maybe they're secondary characters because they're in their late twenties. And obviously I need a teen protagonist. And so, um, I found my other two main characters, like just writing down in my journal, but it's interesting how, as I was starting to write the book, Torn and Sidra's story literally, um, I think really took over to where it's like almost half of the book. And I could not imagine when I was looking at it, where does this belong? Is it young adult or is it adult? It's like very weird that I couldn't quite tell. Um, I couldn't imagine cutting them out. And I think it's so many readers who, again, we were talking about how Slice of Life is very accessible. Um, I've had readers say, I never read fantasy books, but I read River Enchanted and loved it. And I love Torn and Sidra in particular. Like so many people have related to them um, and their journey. So I think kind of going back what Travis B was saying, just like really writing about something that like really is is interesting to me or what I find very moving, um, you know, these two characters working through um, their marriage as well. Everything else is still going on on the island in the story with the other characters. Um, but really just having something like a something to relate that 
um, within the, the within the fantasy story. And I don't know if that's making sense. I feel like I'm rambling right now, but um, but really just taking my time to really delve deep into the characters and these small moments that string it all together. No, no, I, I fully agree. And then uh, uh, Quimby, um, uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on making slice of life relatable to to your readers? Uh, my sound is okay now. We're still a little bit no, shocky. Um, someone was saying that it might be. Uh, I'm looking in the chat here. Yeah, I know. Uh, Adrian was saying it might be an internet connection issue, and that um, he said, "What disconnecting Wi-Fi devices nearby or getting issue. close to the router?" But tough to say. I don't know. Especially since it started out fine. That's very. I know that's yeah, very I should say we did a sound test before we started, and it was fine. <laughs> Adrian says you might be able to call in from your phone, but I'm not sure how that works in StreamYard. Is there a phone call-in option? It should just be able yeah. to follow you from the link. On the StreamYard link? That might be worth giving a shot. Okay. Um, has anyone else ever found any particular challenges in, in making Slice of Life relatable to your readers? You know, when you're actually crafting these these stories? The more um, far removed a, a fantasy world is from our own lived experience, the greater the challenge is to find points of relatability for the characters. Uh, my old Russian Compass books um, have a society where warlords have absolute power. Um, they have slaves. They have. They don't have money. Um, they have an extensive and complicated barter system. Um, it is a very, very alien society and is meant to be because the people from the mainland who were in the previous series basically have to deal with this completely a, uh, a society they do not understand um, without getting dead. Um, and it was actually family issues that enabled me to make those um, the old oppression culture relatable to readers, um, even though a warlord has, you know, anything up to four wives, but actually this is more of a business um, a arrangement than um, necessarily marrying for love. You know, it's dynastic, it's alliances and all the rest of it. But basically dealing with issues about raising children was one of the main ways that I was able to make those characters relatable to um, readers. So, yes, um, and the fact that I had, um, well, not exactly small children at the time, but certainly you know, school-aged children at the time, uh, definitely helped inform the uh, issues that I dealt with there. Sorry, I think we, we've almost got Quinby back. Ooh. I think we'll, we'll get there in the end. Um, but if it, did anyone else have any thoughts on on that particular question or... I don't know if it's like a specific challenge, but it's something that feels maybe non-intuitive, um, at least in the way that I've approached it, is that I think um, I read a lot of, of action adventure books, um, and I've probably internalized a lot of things from those. Um, if, if anybody's not familiar with Will White, for some reason, who writes the Cradle series, he's a fabulous author. 
And one of the things I've always admired about the way that he writes is that it is extremely lean and he manages to pack a whole lot into his characters just with a very few spare lines of dialogue. It's really well-crafted, really purposeful dialogue that tells you a lot. And anytime two characters exchange words, you learn a lot about both of them. And um, it's, it's ostensibly it's action adventure style writing. It's designed to be propulsive and fast and not to, not to get in your way. And I've more or less internalized that. And it's part of what I have, it's part of what I think is kind of important to keeping uh, cozy fantasy kind of uh, engaging is applying a lot of those same lessons is that dialogue always reveals that um, superfluous details that keep you from, from, uh, from proceeding through the story. I, I get lost in those. That's where I tend to tap out. Um, I think there's like, there's like rules in, 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 in propulsive fiction about like setups and payoffs. You've got a large scale setup and payoff, the overarching story. You've got um, sub subplot setups and payoffs. You've got per chapter setups and payoffs and the same thing all the way down to like the paragraph level. And I think those same rules all can apply really well to cozy and slice of life fiction, even though it, you know, it feels like intuitively they shouldn't, right? We should, it's, it's about kind of the gentleness and being along for the ride, but I think that they still fundamentally apply. Um, and I think that's kind of, I, I just think it's interesting that that functions at all. I think they absolutely apply. And it sort of comes back to the idea that the stakes aren't going to change the world around them. The world, the earth won't be blown up if things go wrong. But there can be incredibly important to the characters, which is going to make them, if it's well done, really, really important to the readers who will really desperately care about whether this coffee shop fails whether this heroine loses her pet dragon whatever you know whatever the stakes may be they have to matter to the characters if they're going to matter to the reader in the end whether or not the rest of the world would be affected by them and, and how do you as authors keep the stakes at that level where it doesn't cross over into high sex fantasy or, or some epic saga i mean what are the actual challenges when you're, you're putting a story like this together i think for me it's really less about like i don't really want to write a story about like the end of the world or something and it's really even if it's like incredibly high stakes and like there's a bunch of magic going on and a bunch of battles and stuff it's high stakes like for those characters specifically like it's still wrapped up in a very personal story um and it's not any kind of like world ending stakes but it 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 could be like their world ending stakes i think it uh, yeah i i have written series where um the stakes are you know, basically, there there are. I've written series with wars. I have written series where you know a, the security of a ruler on his throne is challenged. Um, you know, so the stakes have been quite high in that sense, but they still the focus is still has to be at the human level. Um, so that you know, it's not it's less about whether the king sits on his throne as what's going to happen to the king and his family or the the, the wall or the ruler. And it's quite interesting the way that that can take a story in unexpected directions, because um, if a ruler's security on his throne is challenged, that is 
in one book I wrote, that was the point where the ruler stopped and thought, you know what? Do I want to carry on being king? Actually, I'm not convinced I do. And that takes the story in a whole new direction. But because it's relatable on a personal level, which is, as Travis B said, the, you know, have I invested my life in doing what I ultimately want to carry on doing? Um, it's, it's, again, it's bringing it back to the personal, the immediate, the relatable, even if it is the fate of realms and kings and wizards. I think some of it for me is like the scale of the antagonism, you know, justifies the response, right? So everything is more or less gated by the scale of the antagonism. How bad is bad here? Is it murderers? Is it nations conquering nations? So as soon as I've figured out what the scale of antagonism is, that kind of like determines the scale of, of what kind of drama it is. And I feel pretty strongly that you can find drama in almost anything. One of the reasons that I really enjoyed watching The Great British Bake Off is because it's not an undramatic show. It's absolutely a dramatic show and you get very invested in the people and the outcome. But at the end of the day, if somebody gets booted off of the great british baking show everybody's on their side it's not there's not a bad guy you know so the scale of antagonism is very low but it still achieves drama so i don't know just keeping a lid on the antagonist for me is part of what keeps it from tipping over into um a very different kind of drama i think the closest thing we came to a bad guy on the British Bake Off was that lady who left someone's ice cream out of the freezer. Yeah, in Alaska. <laughs> that was in the newspapers for weeks. It was insane. The That's the super villain. That's yeah. the super villain right there. That that tells you the scale of antagonism. <laughs> but also, I was actually, as I was sort of preparing for this panel earlier today, or in other words, I was going to pick up my kid from school. But <laughs> anyway, I was thinking about the panel, and I was thinking the difference between cozy fantasy and you know, more epic fantasy and why I love it so much is that in the X-Men films, you know, you tend to get these, um, at least in the ones in the early 2000s, I'm, I'm really sorry for any more recent ones that I'm maligning, but they started out with these wonderful personal stories and, and characters who you really cared about. And then two thirds of the way through the film, suddenly, oh, now we all have to save the world. And that's the issue. And I was always so disappointed at that point because I don't really care about this sort of external world nearly as much as I cared about those characters. And I just wanted to see their story and them solving their issues, you know, and not just the big punch up scene. And uh, Rebecca, I, I think you, you talked about that that challenge you had of going from that that YA space to slice of life. Um, I, I mean, what other ways did you make that transition, and and how did you also overcome those challenges yourself? Yeah, so I think um, I think it's really just like what what was I emphasizing? Um, Again, it's like it's interesting because I had just written a very plot-driven story, and I'm normally a character-driven storyteller. Um, but I do think, like with the slice of life, of course, there are still stakes involved, um, and how everyone else has mentioned, like may not be like the world ending or the king's assassination. There's still something um, that our character is facing, whether it's an obstacle or a challenge. And um, so I think really just using like the, the storyteller lens to focus more on that. Um, and I also really love stories about community. Like how is, how is my main character really, um, interacting with the community? What's going on in the community? 
Um, and again, I think that is more like a, a slice of life thing where you're taking, it has this epic feel still to the story, but it's still very intimate. Uh, I think we've got Quimby back. Hi, Quimby. Hi, can you hear me now? It's still How super it, stuttery. It's still super stuttery it's, on my end. I'm not sure what's happening. It's just being right. a but. I, I think it's my internet. I think it's small town internet. It's been acting up off and on all day. Oh, it is better than before, I think. We could translate for you. You could type your uh, responses into text, and I can I can be the audiobook voice of your response if you want. Oh God! This is Perfect. <laughs> oh dear, I'm sorry, Quimby. We we were talking about you know, the challenges of of keeping slice of life relatable. And, you know, how do you keep things low stakes? But actually, I really like what you said, Travis, are about how things can still be high stakes for the characters in question. I mean, Quimby, are there any other difficulties or challenges you've found when you're writing in this genre, other than getting audio to work, of course? I'm so afraid to talk now. Um... That was okay. Okay. Um, for me, um, keeping it relatable and everything, um, with Miss Percy, it was the first time I'd written a character who was in her 40s. And I'm in my 40s. And I had always not wanted to do that before because it seemed that in fantasy and fiction, it was younger characters that were the preference. And when I hit, when I had my last baby at 38, I felt really bad afterwards, not in an emotional sense, but physically. It um, basically hurled me into middle age, uh, and I got very sick. And it, so I hit this point where I thought, is this it? Have I hit middle age? Is my life ending now? You know, I, I, I have nothing else to do and so keeping it relatable was realizing that with writing Miss Percy I was writing myself was it was this character who was afraid that maybe she had nothing else to do no more adventures in front of her and that was a fear that I had was that okay I've had my five kids and now my body is going well you're old now lady and that fear that is that it you know i have no time for anything else it's just this kind of steady spiral downwards so keeping it relatable for me is keeping that in mind that um there's a lot a lot of people out there who are in middle age who are kind of panicking that are our best years over and so as long as i keep that in mind when i'm writing it um that's when it feels good when I don't lose that thread. I think vulnerabilities need to be part of uh, a character if people are going to be relatable. And that actually can be quite exposing um, for uh, you as a writer, because you wonder how much of yourself are you putting on the page and how much are other people going to assume is autobiographical? Um, but 
uh, yeah, the, the least relatable characters are the ones with no flaw, no self-doubt, no vulnerabilities, no problems. That uh, yeah, those are the characters that I am I am not interested in reading about, and I'm certainly not interested in writing them. One weird thing about relatability I've learned as I've gotten older is that it's like it's like having a conversation with a 20 year old when you're in your 40s. It's like the kind of conversation you can have is relatively limited. And a lot of the drama in a lot of the books I read feels like it's tuned at like a 20s level of drama. And I'm sitting here as somebody in my 40s going, boy, if you had just had a four minute conversation, we could have skipped the next eight chapters. And I'm a little <laughs> frustrated with you right now because it feels like I'm talking to somebody who just got out of high school and thinks they know everything. And so I like am losing my relatability to that kind of drama. I, 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 I find it very challenging to relate to that. So reading stories about actual adults doing adult things and solving problems like adults is really refreshing to me. It's like, oh, my God. You just said what you meant and figured it out, and then you moved on to something more interesting? This is amazing. Please, more of this. We're old, Travis. We don't have time for this anymore. We have to get things done. That's right. That's right. Yeah, speaking of somebody who's on the shape of 55 now, um, but that actually is another point in that if I'm writing younger characters, I make sure to check in with friends and family who are of the appropriate age group. <laughs> <laughs> um for reactions for um particularly for pop culture references in the contemporary <laughs> fantasies that I'm writing um because again if you have um you know a 60 year old who's behaving like a 20 year old or vice versa again that's going to ring very very false to readers and I've come across that in books um, I remember reading a, a Who Done It with our sort of you know young mid twenties kick ass ex marine female private eye heroine who made some cultural references that I thought were dated, and basically the writer was older than me and was thinking back to her twenties, and that did not work. This is like one of my first novels that I wrote that, thank God, wasn't published. <laughs> but I wrote it before I'd had children. And I showed it to a friend who's a wonderful science fiction author, Justina Robson. But she did have a child who was about the same age as some of the side characters in my book. And they, there was these two-year-old twins who are part of the family sitting in the house. And she said, I kept reading these scenes and just thinking, what are the two-year-olds doing? And I said to her, I mean, without, I mean, I said to her in all earnestness, Oh, I figure they're just sitting there. Is <laughs> anyone who has ever met a two-year-old in real life will know this is never going to happen. And I was so embarrassed when I had two-year-olds of my own and you know realized what I'd done. <laughs> uh, I had a, a central character in uh, my Lascari trilogy. Um, essentially, has uh, cerebral palsy. Obviously, yeah, that's not the term used in the book because that's a secondary world fantasy, um, and. You know, I drew on a friend experience of a friend when I was in, well, uh, equivalent of high school, secondary school, um, who had cerebral palsy. But I also went and did my research and also got um, a friend who was a wheelchair user to, you know, we had a chat about things she found particularly irritating, reactions and all the rest of it. Yeah, the further anyone any character you're writing is from your own lived experience, the more research you have to do, 
and the more listening you have to do. Definitely. It's interesting to hear your talk about, you know, the these relatable characters and um Kit Boris just said in the uh, in the comments, um, more adults please. Um, you know, I'm I'm thirty-three and I've got an almost two year old. I'm just tired all the time. So sometimes it's just really nice to read about a character who who gets that. I mean, I'm reading Empire of the Vampire by Jay Kristoff right now, which is fantastic, you know. Proper, violent, all-action, vampire, swear punk. But if I read more than one or two chapters at night, I, I fall asleep on the sofa. Um, <laughs> but what what do you, as as authors and people who put these stories together in, in the slice of life genre, what more do you want to see? Like, what direction do you want things to go in? Um, um, Rebecca, let, let's start with you. Um. I mean, I just am happy, again, to see that, of course, it's always been around, but just to see more people talking about it and celebrating it. And, um, I, again, I just, I really do um, love very character-driven stories, community-driven stories. Um, as somebody who, again, coming from YA background, um, where I do think with, you know, there are plenty of adults who love reading um, YA, but I don't know. It's just very nice to, to read about, um, like, everyone was just talking about, like, adults having adult situations and handling things and um, things that feel very relatable. So I guess, like, I don't know. I just love to still see more more books like this, like, get talked about. And, and um, I don't know. I feel like Terry Pratchett kind of pioneered a lot of this stuff, using magic and fantasy to talk about things that weren't battles, basically. Mm -hmm. They were talking about human ideas and human concepts and society. And I mean, he, he talked about an endless number of subjects. So just basically keeping the lid off and using the, the tools and the trappings of fantasy and genre fiction to talk about things that aren't killing something mm. for the most part, which basically is that that's an infinite number of subjects. I mean, you can talk about almost anything you can talk about in lit fic with fantasy to illuminate it in a way that's interesting. I mean, sci-fi has done that forever. Um, but talking about really humane concepts using those tools is I'm interested in that kind of fiction. Yeah. The um, pompous literary fiction uh British university term for this is exploring the human condition, um, <laughs> which, as I say, you will get thrown at you in uh, serious uh, English lit proper proper book conversations. And actually, I think fantasy is as well equipped as any other genre, if not better placed to explore it, because you can explore the human condition when faced with a dragon. Um, and actually, science fiction is getting better at this, but again. Yeah, when I started reading science fiction in the late Jurassic and I grew up, cut my teeth on Clark, Heinlein and um, Asimov, actually, they weren't particularly good at exploring people. They were very good at exploring tech. They were very good at exploring philosophical ideas. Um, they were not so hot on the people. Um, and certainly when I was started out re reading science fiction and fantasy, fantasy is where I went for relatable people. 
Um, I must say, it's very interesting that science fiction is now getting much, much better at that. That's stunned everyone into silence. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to nod sagely in agreement. I, I want to know more about what, what you feel, um, especially on that note, Quimby, especially now we've also got your, your audio sort of semi-working as well. Um, what do you think? Um, I'd, I'd like to see my still sounding okay. I can understand you. We can yeah. understand you. Oh, great. Okay. Um, I, I'd like to see as we get more cozy fantasy coming along. Um, I think you see with a lot of fantasy, I think you see with, with literature, as, as Julia said, with proper literature, that somehow that is the only thing that is important. Um, things that explore maybe things that are darker, things that are more sad, they're killing people, people dying. Um, and I worry occasionally that maybe cozy fantasy or slice of life fantasy will be pushed aside as something that is lesser, that it's not as important because maybe it's a little softer or a little fluffier. And it, which I think comedy gets that same treatment, which I think sometimes Terry Pratchett gets that same treatment, that it's somehow lighter and not as important because, see, it's not dealing with um, death and epic and deep and dark things. Um, so I'd really like to see cozy fantasy and slice of life be appreciated for exploring things that are extraordinarily human and extraordinarily important. And it's not just about coziness and tea and little conversations and coffee and things that with all that throughout all of that um we're exploring extraordinary important parts of our lives and important parts of the human existence hmm. i remember an actor i can't remember who it was maintaining that actually for an actor comedy is vastly harder than tragedy <laughs> Everybody thinks it's e it's easy, but apparently, yeah, uh, I uh, that stayed with me. And Travis R, I'm uh, I'm interested to know your your thoughts on on it as well, and because you 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 mentioned earlier, your one of your stories is is influenced by by Pokemon, which was this huge cultural influence for a lot of people, and. I can see how there would be those slice of life element elements. So, what more would you like to see coming through to the genre? I think uh, Travis and Quimby summed up what I would like a lot. But another thing um, that I was thinking about is that I, I kind of mentioned it near the beginning of the panel about how just like interested I am in like world building and just like weird, fantastical foreign details of, of fantasy worlds. And so I feel like slice of life, um, grants authors the opportunity to use like so much imagination to like show us how these really, really different worlds function. And I think they could also especially do that. I've, I've talked on, on panels at this convention in years past and also just every time anyone ever asks me anything about fantasy, I bring this up, but I, I really would like more, um, like non-human protagonists in books. Because mm. um, I really love just reading about something that is like completely different to my own experience and like learning 
more about like different cultures and societies and things like that. And um, I think that's what like Becky Chambers um, series does really well. Um, like a long way to a small angry planet and the galaxy and the ground within and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like those books have like these alien races that are like, so they're not just like reskinned humans, you know, like their physiology is completely different. Their culture is completely different. It's like, it doesn't resemble humans at all. Um, and I would like to see more of that in pretty much every fantasy book that I read rather than having a human protagonist. But I think Slice of Life especially is a good genre for it because you can get so much more in depth about how different they're, like that person's life is than, than like our lives. Uh, Dr. Chef in A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet was just such a fantastic non-human character. Um, they're just amazing. Like I, I haven't come across uh, that sort of writing for a long time. Becky um, Cambridge writes the best slice of life science fiction. Mm. I think fantasy generally has a way to go in terms of... Mm, LGBTQI, et cetera, representation, um, which is, I, I mean, this is something I'm aware of because as a, you know, um, 50-something straight white mother of two, um, this is outside my experience. But I have gay friends, I have lesbian friends, I have trans friends, have had for decades. Um, but, and making that an unremarkable factor of the world of a society of a group of people as opposed to here is the token person to make an important point um which is just not the way to go um and again i find um because again uh 20 odd years ago i had a gay character in one of my fantasy novels um because i didn't want the heroine to sleep with him for other populated reasons. If this was not me being terribly woke which or politically correct, which was yeah, the term in the late 90s. Um, and I spoke to a friend who is a very successful uh, crime novelist who happens to be gay. And I said, you know, basically, how do I do this without making my gay and lesbian friends giggle or wince and not in a good way? Um, and she said, make no more of his sexuality the gay character than you do of anyone that straight's sexuality. And when it, that said to you, yeah, it's, it's so blindingly obvious. But for me, I needed to be, I needed to have it said in words of one syllable. Um, so I used that as a touchstone. And that character, that book was published in January 1999. I still get email. I, uh, initially, I got letters and I still got email from young men who are working through their own sexuality and seeing a positive, successful, powerful wizard with friends, a family, uh, you know, he has his place in society, he is respected, and incidentally, he happens to be gay because it's not, you know, a big thing. Yeah, I still get email from young men, particularly, for whom seeing that is very, very important. I did not never set out to do that. That's accidental. But I, it, it underscores the importance of a full breadth of human variation being reflected in these slice of life books. The other responses I've had to that character are from 
young men in particular with some very strangled syntax who have been <laughs> extremely rigid and gender binary heterosexual worldview because that is the culture they come from and encountering a character who is you know powerful respected happy successful who doesn't fit you know when they have been told anyone who is not fitting the box is going to have a miserable horrible life that's also actually given them pause for thought um yeah and that again is one of those things that sort of rock the first few times this happened that sort of whoa uh does did underscore the importance of a full breadth of representation in what i write well, if I could chime in on that, I'm also white and a mother, but I'm not straight. And uh, I was, I very much agree with that, that we need a lot more just taken for granted representation within fantasy cast lists. And this was made more apparent to me by the amount of hate mail that I get for doing that. And I was baffle i was actually very gobsmacked when it first started happening because i was from my own worldview it was so bizarre to me that the presence of for instance it this started with my book snowspelled which is a romantic fantasy which stars a heroine and a hero but also there are side characters who include a happy lesbian couple who are quite and i won't go into all the details but the amount of outrage that some people feel in just having these people exist in their fantasy escapes is really unsettling. It can be very vitriolic. It's, it's a little unnerving, but it's also why it's so essential for us to keep on doing it <laughs> because we can't give into that mindset. And it's, I don't know. I think the first time I got hate mail for it, it was very... It, it really shook me. I mean, I'm kind of, my hands trembling a little thinking, but then it actually solidified my determination that I was going to keep on doing it. And in fact, those side couple, that side couple was going to get a, a book of their own in the series if they did. And I was going to push forward rather than backing down on it. That's interesting. I've never actually got hate mail about these things, but possibly because my website points out that I'm a third damn black belt. <laughs> No, I'm interested. Uh, I think that's a really interesting point to make, Steph. And I, I think we, we're going to be saying for a long time there needs to be more representation in, in sci-fi and fantasy, and just the publishing world as a whole. Um, I'm interested to know your your thoughts, you know, Quemby, Rebecca, and, and Travis and Travis. You know how how you can all tackle that in your stories as well. Because so we've heard Steph and, and Juliet telling us you know, your experiences. What's it been like for the rest of you? Um, Kind of sense. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Um, Really since the beginning of my writing career, I have made it a point for all of my worlds to be um, like queer normative worlds. So there are gay, trans, everything, any type of character you can think of. And it's... um, like Juliet was saying, it it's not commented on. It's not a big deal. Um, it just kind of it's just that it's who that person is. Um and I have gotten a lot of good responses um from readers saying that they 
appreciate being able to like see themselves in those characters. Um, but like Stephanie said, I I have <laughs> received hate mail for it. Also, I got I wrote a horror novel a few years ago that had a trans woman in it, and um, she's really not even that big of a character in it. She's just a supporting character that pops up in a few chapters. But it really set some dude off. Um, he said he was gonna like. He got he just got so mad at me, and he said he was gonna like sick four chan on me somehow. I don't even know what he meant or what he intended to do. Um, but yeah, it it just basically redoubled my thoughts that like that is what I want to do with my work, and I don't. If I I know this is different for everybody, but um, for me personally, since since it's not an experience that I have, I don't feel like I should comment on like the deeper intricacies of it. And on the other side of that, I, if I'm like making up these worlds, I don't want them to be places where people like this get hate. Um, so I, I, it's normalized in, in all the books that I write. Um, I, I, I think one of the, one of the things that was important to me and that I think is probably important to cozy fiction and, and slice of life overall is that I kind of just want to open the door for as many people as possible. The aim is for you to be able to enjoy and escape to this and, and relate to it. And the more people that can relate to it, the better. Um, so treating people just as people where this is not an issue and where it's not like the point of the story or it's not a point of conflict. So, so many times these seems, these things seem to be like a point of conflict in the story or that character becomes the sacrificial lamb for somebody else to get revenge or some, you know, dramatic fulcrum upon which the story turns. And to me, I just wanted to write a story where it didn't matter where it was, where nobody else cared either. Um, and I put it front and center on the cover. There's two gals just being pals, you know, with a succubus's tail, just, you know, just happening to caress the bicep of the woman behind her. You know, it's very, very subtle. Um, so, um, and I like that. And I, I wanted to also treat it like, uh, treat it, treat it as an adult relationship. So part of what was important to me was that as a relationship, it was about people who became friends, got to know each other, were supportive of one another, and a relationship was the natural result of that. It wasn't about physicality or lust or anything else. It's almost, one of the characters is practically ace. Um, it's just, and it was just supposed to be natural and they're just people. Um, the worst I got were some Amazon reviews that were like, how did you trick me into, into reading this? Or, you know, I wasn't prepared at the end to discover that this was, you know, there was a lesbian romance and this, to which I could only reply, did you even look at the cover? Um, because it's, it's, it's really not hidden. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know that I've gotten hate mail per se. And, uh, and Quimby, what have your, your experiences been like? Um, with Miss Percy, um, I had to think about it for a bit because it's historical and it's set at a time of Regency England when, you know, people weren't really out and about um, with their sexuality if it wasn't heterosexual. Um, but I wanted to include some characters who were 
um, gay, lesbian, etc. So I was trying to be very subtle and also trying to make sure that it was not a big deal, that it was not something like, you know, da 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 da, here are the gay characters. Um, I wanted it. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be accepted and just kind of, oh, here they are, and these two people who like each other, love each other, and then we move on with the main point of the story. Um, so there is uh, a couple in Miss Percy 1, and then there's another couple in Miss Percy 2, and um, I received absolutely um, no negative feedback about that. So I feel like maybe somehow I didn't try hard enough. <laughs> like I didn't earn my bad reviews yet. Um, you know, I've had some good things said, like, you know, oh, yes, you know, I saw these characters. It was very nice to have this little soft relationship kind of just mentioned over here. But no hate yet. So I'm, I'm waiting so that I can frame it and put it on my wall and be like, yes, I can soft right. I angered someone. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I want to make sure, though, that it's there because you have so many people who almost like to pretend that in history those relationships didn't exist don't you know we were all straight until 20 years ago um and i want to make sure that they are represented um in in those historical uh scenes no absolutely and i hope you don't have to earn your stripes and get bad reviews for representation <laughs> i wish that wasn't the thing that happened <laughs> um and i'd imagine rebecca and um, correct me if i'm wrong i'm sorry if we keep coming back to your your ya background but i'd imagine representation going from that genre to slice of life was something that, that must have come quite naturally to you yeah, so I, I really love listening to everyone's answers on this. And I think representation is so important. And publishing as a whole, I think, still has quite a ways to go. And I, I love to see more fantasy authors who are from these marginalized backgrounds also publishing these books. And I think within my own work, you know, the world is beautiful because it's diverse. And I want my fantasy worlds to also reflect that. I want it to be a safe place for readers to come. Um, and it also, and part of that is also educating myself because um, harm can be done with incorrect if you're not writing from your own experience. So I think just for me is just, um, you know, again, like making sure like I'm aware of like tropes to avoid because sometimes I think people might have good intentions and then end up causing more harm. So I think um, it's definitely a process, again, just wanting to continue making safe places in my books for all readers. Yeah, I think that's wonderful, especially in a genre like this. Like, there should always be a safe place in in, in any escapist story. Um, no, I, I'm very conscious we're, we're fastly running out of time. Um, because this is TBR con, and we want to make sure people are, are, are you know, increasing the, the volume with their TBRs. I'd just like to to round up the panel just by going through each of you. Um, I'm really curious to know what or who's been the biggest influence for you as an author of this genre and what would be the one slice of life or cozy uh, book that you'd recommend um and, and i'm putting you on the spot sorry but, but let's start with you rebecca okay so um I, I will say, like, as growing up, I loved Lord of the Rings. And not that I would really think, like, Lord of the Rings is a slice of life, but I think The Shire in particular, just, like, 
the coziness, the comfort, the community. Like I just, if I could really step into any book, I would want to go like visit the Shire. Um, but I also, I think one of my greatest influences is Juliette Morillier and her Seven Water series. Again, I don't know if I would necessarily, like it has elements of slice of life and coziness, but she also tackles some pretty dark subjects. But it's basically the series where we follow a family. And I still remember reading the first book. Like I was, I, I don't cry very often when I read, but that book like made me bawl um, like two different times. And I felt like it kind of like took my heart apart and put it back together. And it's just this warm, like this warmth. And I think it's just very reminiscent of how Juliet Morillier writes. It has this very folkloric tale. Uh, again, very focused on her characters, on the community, on this family throughout the generations. Um, and then the last books um, I think that have been really influential are the books of Pelinar by Allison, Allison Krogan. And these were um, YA before YA really had its boom. And it's this very lovely, very Tolkien-esque type storytelling about a young woman coming into magic as a bard. Um, and it's a quartet, so there are four books. And um, so, yeah, I, I feel like the Juliet Marillier and Allison Krogan were two like very influential as far as like the types of stories I love and the type of stories I want to tell. I actually think um, the the Lord of the Rings reference, um, you know, thinking about it, there are those elements of slice of life, um, particularly when Saruman just being a douche to all the hobbits at the end. <laughs> like, th that's pretty low stakes because we've already kind of completed the quests, but now we're going back to the Shire and, oh, no, he's trying to industrialise the whole thing. Um, no, that, that's, that's quite a good shout, actually, Rebecca. Um uh, yeah, Quimby, um, the same question to you, really. Um, I think some of my biggest influences um, for cozy things, um, first off, I did read a lot of historical, like Jane Austen and all of those things, which were extraordinarily slice of life. It was, you know, here's this family and they're dealing with engagements and relationships and not really paying much attention to what was going on beyond those few households. Um, I also remember reading a ton of things like um, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Good Omens, which I read way too many times. And even though neither of those are cozy in the sense of the stakes were actually high, I mean, with Good Omens and things like that, it was very high stakes. The world was coming to an end, but yet um, Pratchett and Adams and, and them, they were able to present it in this kind of slice of life way that here's these kids, here's these characters, and you feel like you're just following along with them, nothing major is happening, while all these tremendous things around them are happening. Um, so they managed to pull off that cozy feel while epic things were occurring. And I really, I love that they were able to do that. Um, I'm completely in awe of that. And I think I, I, love seeing kind of a mashup of that when you see slice of life now people taking something very close very tightly knit like a family jane austen type of thing with something more epic kind of teasing at the edges and so i think those are my biggest influences and what i really like to see yeah you, you just make it sound i agree that that i think slice of life has been around perhaps for longer than we actually think um it's quite surprising um how many titles have those elements woven in? Um, I mean, Juliet, uh, 
what would you say was your your biggest influence? And in, I'm in going to go even further back to Edith Nesbitt, The Phoenix and the Carpet, Five Children and It, um, which is uh, and these are Edwardian books um, where children find themselves with a Samiad who grants wishes or a phoenix egg rolled up in a carpet that's bought for the nursery and they find themselves traveling through space time and all the rest of it and having to get home in time for tea otherwise there's going to be trouble um and so you get that wonderful blend of um you know the baby wanted some milk we wished for some milk now we've got a cow in the basement ah what do we do um you know we've got a magic carpet but it's wearing out how do we mend it um, so again, I think, as you say, th this has been around as long as there has been fantasy. And I would say that those books, um, they're some of the earliest books I remember reading, and uh, they have stayed with me all the way through. Oh, fantastic. Um, let's go to Travis R. Um, your, your biggest influence in the genre and, and the title you'd recommend? Um, I guess. I never really th thought about this until the past three minutes, um, but I've talked in interviews before about how my biggest influences on my writing have not really been other books, but rather like video games and in particular uh, Final Fantasy IX. And I think thinking about it now, that is maybe an influence on like the slice of lifeness specifically in my books. Um, because that Final Fantasy IX in particular is like such a character-driven story, even though there are like really high stakes by the end of it. Um, the stakes start out much more grounded and smaller, and then even when they do get big, um, like I was saying before, it's wrapped up in like very personal things with all these characters, like a character who isn't sure where he's from, what his past is, and he's grappling with like what that means for his identity and how he should live his life or a woman who has grown up with this like very controlling, possibly abusive, like mother and like, how do I process now that she's died? And like, am I happy about that? Or am I sad about it? And like, how do I become a, a like a leader now? Because now I'm a queen instead of a princess. So things like that. Um, and it, it, that game also takes so much time to like stop and have these scenes with just the characters like looking at the stars and talking to each other about like their regrets or their hopes for the future and things like that. And then even beyond that, um, just in all video games generally, like those things are full of side quests that don't have anything to do with the main story and is really just an excuse for like character interactions and like learning more about the world and, and things like that. Um, so I think that probably has been much more of an influence on my writing than I realized before. Um, but to recommend a book... Um, you can I recommend a book. That's completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I already talked about Becky Chambers and about how good her books are. Um, so check her out. But also, I feel like a real slice of life book that I never see mentioned anywhere is... Um, I guess I don't, I don't... I'm not totally sure how to pronounce it, but maybe like Tyneron? Um, T-A-I-N-A-R-O-N by uh, Lena Crone. Mm -hmm. um, it's an epistolary novel um, that is like letters from this woman who moved to a city of giant bugs. 
and it's just her writing letters to some unknown person about her new life um, in this city and how different it is from what she knows and how the bugs live their lives. Um, I think it's it's a very calm, pleasant read, and uh, it's very interesting. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, there's so many I'm having to note down from you guys. This is awesome. <laughs> and, um, uh, Travis B., uh, the same question to you. Um, so I'm going to give three different authors that are kind of mulched together, I think, that are – I don't write like any of them at all, but I think they're all – pretty large components of the way I feel about, feel, feel strongly about writing. Uh, one's Terry Pratchett. Um, and I, again, I mentioned Pratchett earlier, but uh, books like uh, Going Postal and Guards, Guards, and especially kind of like mid-career Mary or Terry Pratchett, where he's really talking about, he's got some really great characters and they're talking about really interesting concepts. And they're, they're, I mean, there's a lot of character study going on and it uses fantasy in really cool ways. And um, he's got that incredible British wit, which I, don't even remotely approach, but definitely Terry Pratchett. Um, after that, this is going to sound weird, but Stephen King, because he really cares about his characters and he knows his characters. And there's a very kind of like blue collar relatability to the way that he writes that I really appreciate. I think it's very approachable and it feels very real when he's talking about his characters, no matter what ridiculous crap they're going through. And then the other one is from my childhood, but it's going to be Brian Jakes and the Redwall series. And... Yes. um they're not cozy. Okay, they're cozy, but also they're unbelievably brutal. But um, <laughs> the food's great. And they've got this very earthy, warm, rich vibe to them that I find really, really appealing. So I think all those things are kind of like munged together in my brain and, and are, are all parts of what I really like in fiction and that find their way into what I do. So if I was going to recommend a book, again, I'd go back to Pratchett. I'd probably say something like Going Postal or Guards, Guards. This thing, this is like formative kind of cozy fantasy in a lot of ways and i think it's been there for a while and people just haven't attached that label to it i was almost going to mention stephen king also i feel like he has a lot of slice of life elements in his book that people don't really mm -hmm. think about mm -hmm. i think under the dome in particular um sticks to mind for stephen king um just really isolating a small town and seeing what happens uh, when everyone's stuck inside a big bubble together. Um, yeah, that's a really like left of field shout, but, but I can see what you mean. Um, well, we've got time for one more and that's uh, Steph to, to, to close us up. Um, so yeah, your, your recommendation. All right. My recommendation. And it's actually, it was a hard choice between two from this past year, but the one I've reread the most times is by Sangu Mandana. It's called The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches, and it's a British cozy fantasy with some rom-com elements. It's like if the girls in ballet shoes were all witches, and it's told from the story of their governess, and it is so delightful. And every time I read it, it feels like I've just had this huge warm hug. So that's my rec. Fantastic. Well, everyone, um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to talk Slice of Life. Um, there's so much more we could have talked about as well. Um, <laughs> we literally just run out of time. Um, no, uh, please do check all of these guys' uh, books out. They're incredible authors, each and every one of them. Uh, and thank you all for, for watching as well. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the, the panel. <laughs>